From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. And yeah, you heard that right. It's actually here. We're, we're doing a podcast episode because there might be a game this weekend. There might be an actual game. Or could just happen that team arrives in town and one of the other teams has to cancel. One of the two teams has to cancel because of a late notice COVID-19 test and and uh, contact tracing. I mean, that it's also possible. I mean, who knows? But hey, you know what? We're going to act as though there's going to be some football. And we're going to hope that there's going to be some football and we're going to treat it as though there's plenty to preview. So this is going to be our uh, the Duke preview and then some additional stuff on the back end. But before I get started, want to thank my sponsors, starting with EPR Creations. As always, if you have any needs for improved internet marketing or just a better internet presence or a better website, give EPR Creations a look. Their portfolio will impress you. They'll do a better job than just about everybody out there. I mean, I haven't tested everybody, but they're really good at what they do. Affordable. Give them a holler. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. So Florida State managed somehow to duck Clemson and Virginia and land Duke. You know what? That's a pretty good trade. If you're going to trade out on this schedule, you'd prefer not to play Clemson this year if you're Florida State. And you definitely don't want to uh, get the beating that most likely was coming from Virginia as well. Humiliating. And yeah, you know what? They at this team, you might lose to Duke. Totally possible. It's getting closer to rock bottom, folks. Especially this Duke team. But this is a Duke team that you can beat. And I've watched this Duke team quite a bit. I mean, I broke them down. So again, part of my other other responsibilities on the uh, sports writing side are for covering UNC. And UNC already played Duke, and I got a, I got a chance to break down that game and broke down some stuff in advance of that game, looking at a little bit of Duke beforehand. So, but this is this is really my third pass on Duke this year, and this is not a good and this is not a good Duke football team. Quite frankly, it's just it's not, and it's uh. I would say that this this should be a beatdown, but this is not a very good Florida State team either, So, as everybody knows. So we're going to go ahead and start on the Duke offense side. And really, that's where the problems, the primary problems are for this Duke team. And it, it really starts with turnovers. I mean, they're, they're, all, they're, they're giving up almost two turnovers a game offensively. And they've had some, they've had some real barn burners where they've given it up, you know, five, five times, five plus times. They've lost 19 fumbles on the year. 19. That's crazy. I mean, there are teams that go through the year and they don't, they don't fumble it more than, say, five, six times. They've lost 19 of them. They put the ball on the ground every which way you can imagine. Just not good ball security. Uh, Chase Bryce has fumbled some in the pocket. I mean, there's just been a number of things that have just... They've turned the ball over a lot. Now, when they haven't turned it over, they played teams a lot closer, as you would expect. They, they're not they're not bad when they don't turn it over, but they've turned it over a lot. And not only do they have that 19 lost fumbles, they've also thrown 16 interceptions. And a lot of that is just due to, I mean, Chase Bryce is not a bad quarterback. He's a decent quarterback. I saw him when he was at Clemson up close. Not bad. He's, you know, good player. He's, he, I think he was a little overrated coming out of high school, but he he's a competent quarterback who should be better, should have better numbers than he does this year. 16 interceptions is a lot. But thing is, he's a guy who came in, this is his first year in the system as a transfer, in a new system, in a COVID-19 year, with an average wide receiver group, with guys that don't get a lot of separation. 
<laughs> and guys that frankly have struggled at times to catch the football. I mean, about half those interceptions have been on deflections, drops, miscommunications, all sorts of different things. Now, the other eight or nine have been poor location, bad read, that sort of thing, completely on on Bryce. But about half of those have been basically on receivers or on, you know, just bad luck or miscommunication. Being being new in an offense or not not having the receiver and the quarterback on the same page. So some of that stuff isn't going to change coming into this game. I mean, this that's the thing. For teams with a lot of transition, with teams with with new coaching staffs or new quarterbacks, new guys who are new in the program at quarterback, it's a tough year. And Duke is one of those one of those programs. I mean, Bryce was supposed to help come in and bring stability at the quarterback position, but he just never got his feet on the ground due to just being thrust into into doing this without without a spring, without any offseason, without any ability to really uh, dive in and and become a become a guy who really understood everything and 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 had mastery of it. Their offensive line, which by the way is coached by former Florida State offensive line coach Greg Fry, it's a pretty decent group. They're they're better in the running game than they are in the passing game. And again, he's this is this is new. This is a new situation where he hasn't had the time to really develop that offensive line the way that he'd like. Again, not the right year for a lot of trans- transition. It's tough, but they they have opened some holes in the running game. They've they've had some success running the football on teams. You look at what they've done uh, rushing. They overall, I mean, they they were able to run the football some on. Uh, even on Virginia Tech, not too bad. 3.76 yards a carry. They ran it on uh, North Carolina, 4.4 yards a carry, which is about what Florida State did. Ran it on Boston College. Against the better defenses, they've struggled to run the football. Two, 2.5 yards per carry against Notre Dame. 1.7 against Miami. That's, uh, that's not great. So against the better, 1.4, 1.47 against Virginia. Against the better defenses, they've struggled to run the football. But against teams that have not been great up front, that offensive line has handled his business. And they've been able and they've got some decent backs. They've got some backs who can bust a long one here or there. I mean, they've they've got some they've got some guys who have some big play potential, and they just haven't had a whole lot of opportunities to be in games where they're actually able to run the football the way that they'd like. And really the way that they're trying to run this offense is to run a lot of RPO stuff. They're, they're really predicated on putting your linebackers and you know, your, your nickels, your safeties, those interior defenders in conflict, and then throwing off of that. It's what everybody does. They're doing a lot of that stuff. And the thing is they've not been in that because they've turned it over because teams have gotten out on them early. They've not been in a lot of games where, They've basically been able to run it like they've wanted. They, they suddenly they're out of the RPO mode, and then they can't protect, and that's really where where things have the, the doors have gotten blown off. I mean, fifty six twenty four North Carolina, fifty six thirty three at Georgia Tech, forty eight to nothing last week against Miami. Yeah, yikes. But again, that's they, they weren't able to run the football in those games where they got blown out generally, with the exception of the of the North Carolina game where they just they couldn't stop North Carolina. But really their problem has been primarily turning the ball over, 
then being forced to pass protect and then not being really good at that and not having a lot of consistency with a new quarterback with some receivers who are average and just not being able to challenge teams in the passing game without the threat of the run. That's where they are. Now, against Florida State, Florida State actually is not not the worst matchup for them because Florida State's linebackers are the kind of the kind of unit you want to target. They're going to be able to RPO some of those guys and odds are they'll there'll be some space to run here and there. Now, if Florida State can clean up some of the gap stuff, I mean, if they can start to actually do their jobs defensively, they've got the personnel to lock this Duke offense down completely. I mean, this is a defensively the personnel. I mean, the linebacker personnel is still not great, but personnel wise, if, if the team were completely bought in and did their jobs defensively and just that nothing more and did their jobs personnel wise, this Florida state defense against this Duke offense. And also they would have to know their jobs and really, you know, not just be bought in, but, but to really have a good sense of, you know, let's say year two in, in, in the defense bought in year two in the defense. They, they, they have some automaticity there. This, this defense could shut this Duke team out personnel wise. Do I expect that to happen? No. Miami did it, but this defense is not going to do it because Duke will find some running lanes. There's going to be some people out of gaps. That's, that's still going to happen at this stage, but I don't think that that Duke is going to have a ton of success offensively against against Florida State simply because they they don't have the personnel and again with Bryce at quarterback right now they're not clicking on all cylinders to be able to be a balanced team and that's that's really where that comes down to so I, I think Florida State's personnel up front should be able to to have have their way ultimately to slow them down enough to, to keep it within a winnable range for Florida state. That's, that's what I'm expecting. All right. Before we flip over to the defensive side, I want to thank both Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams realty in Jacksonville, Florida and Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Now, Shen, by the way, is at shenrealestate.com for those of you in the research triangle area. That's S H E N realestate.com. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. You're not going to do any better in those regions than to hire either of them as your real estate agent, best in the business in their region. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. All right, moving over to the defensive side of the ball. It really boils down to this. Duke has a quality pair of defensive ends led by Rumpf, good player. Quality pair of defensive ends. Couple of guys that are okay on the on the interior, Tangelo and Jordan, defensive defensive tackles. Not bad. Basically, front four is uh, an ACC mid mid level to upper mid level uh, upper level ACC defensive line. The problem is everywhere else on the defense. They just don't have a ton of talent elsewhere on the defense. They've got one other guy, basically uh, Shaka Hayward, the the linebacker, who he'll get in the backfield some. He'll he'll cause you some problems here and there. He'll flash. But really, elsewhere, they don't. Their their corners are not great. They're, you can run by them a little bit. I mean, Duke, uh, North Carolina certainly did. They just ran right by them. Uh, their safeties, basically, what you would expect from stereotypical Duke safeties over the years. Good players, smart players, but lacking that gear. And then, 
linebackers, they're basically Florida State level linebackers and not 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 traditional Florida State level linebackers. Florida State level linebackers the last couple of years. That's what you're facing. And they've given up some rushing yards. This is a team that has that that teams have been able to run on them. So, and that that really is what it boils down to. I mean, they they've given up 4.82 yards per carry on the season. So Miami ran for 5.2 per carry, Georgia Tech for 7.85, North Carolina for 7.1. Those are their last three games. Virginia Tech may be the most relevant because schematically with uh, Jordan Travis at quarterback, Florida State's offense is probably schematically the closest to Virginia Tech's right now with what Virginia Tech has at quarterback. Virginia Tech ran it 50 times for 324 yards, 6.4 yards per, per carry against Duke. And honestly, those kinds of numbers are within range for Florida State in this game, in the running game, because you've had a chance to get Jordan Travis healthy and back taking snaps. And he's your best, he's your best running back on this team. And he's a guy that with him at quarterback, you can basically run that the, the option type scheme that Florida State's been running. You can call the game as an option offense. And I think that's what they're going to do. And Virginia Tech, like I said, 324 yards rushing on six and a half yards to carry. And I think that's that's in the range of what Florida State might be able to do. I don't think Florida State's rushing offense is as good as Virginia Tech. So, you know, that's that's kind of upper level, upper range of what you could expect. But I think somewhere up north of five yards per carry, completely legitimate, completely within range for Florida State against this Duke team, against this Duke defense. And it's just because, look, they've got a quality front four overall, although their defensive tackles are not great against the run. But if they're going to have a weakness as a front four, it's against the run. Their strength is if they get you in long yardage situations, they're going to get to your quarterback. That's that's where they're best. The problem is they haven't been able to get a lot of teams in long yardage situations a good portion of the season. I mean, I'm not sure how much Miami was in long yardage at all. And if you if you can avoid that against this team, you can run on them and you can run at those ends. Now they will get some tackles for loss. There are going to be some situations where Florida State's going to lose a drive here and there just because somebody got in the backfield, particularly one of those ends. But there are going to be some opportunities, particularly between the tackles, where Florida State's going to have the ability to run the football up the field. And because those defensive backs, because those corners are liable to get run by, there are going to be a couple opportunities for some big plays over the top as Duke commits to stop the run. And Travis does a decent job throwing the ball on uh, throwing the ball deep. And you got some guys that can, that can win those matchups over the top. The question is, will they catch him? And if they catch him, I think Florida state's got a good chance of winning this game. Going to need a big player too from a, from a receiver. It's really all you need. And then other than that, just don't turn it over. And Florida state probably wins this game. We'll go ahead and move into the concluding aspects of the Duke matchup. Before we do that, I want to thank Garage Makeovers. Nathan and the guys down in South Florida, the best in the business at making sure that your garage is going to be the best in the in the neighborhood. If you have any need for anything, for any upgrade in your garage, they're the people to call. Don't just believe me. Take a look at Angie's list. Take a look at uh, at at the ratings of these of these various garage makeover type companies. 
garage remodeling companies down in South Florida. They're the best in the business. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. All right. So when it comes down to handicapping this game, I've watched this Duke team. I've watched this Florida State team. Both teams are bad teams. But one of the teams is significantly better with the current quarterback that's going to be taking snaps. If Jordan Travis is under center, Florida State's been a pretty different team with a healthy Travis playing quarterback. And he's had some time the last couple of weeks to not take contact, to get healthy. And I think that really is ultimately the difference in this game. I don't think Chase Bryce is, is ultimately going to win that quarterback matchup. Both teams are bad teams, but I think with Jordan Travis back, he gives the Florida State offense a spark and enough in the in the running game with some with there'll probably be a couple long long runs there. I would expect him to have a couple big plays as a runner and maybe one or two as a passer. I think those big plays are probably the difference. I think Florida State's about 60-65% likely to win this game. I'm going to go with them to win it actually 34 to 27. I think the defense is going to give up some plays. There's going to be some this is probably going to be a sloppy football game. But ultimately, I, I just I, I think Duke is going to have some trouble. Again, they put the ball on the ground a bunch, and I don't think they're going to be able to run it as well on Florida State as Florida State's going to be able to run it on them. And I think the team that runs the ball better in this game is going to be the team that wins. So that's that's where we come down. But I, I mean, this is one of those things where because of COVID and, and some level of uncertainty of who's actually going to be out there, I wouldn't be surprised by anything at this point. But like I said, I... It's what I what I got to do here. I got to I got to give you a projection of what I think is going to happen, and and the most likely scenario I think is Florida State winning this game by about a touchdown. But we'll see. Hopefully, we get some football. Now, let's go ahead and move into a couple other things. There are a few other things to discuss before we move on, and that's specifically some things on the quarter at the quarterback position. Obviously, since our last episode, Luke Altmeyer flipped to Ole Miss. Actually, I can't remember if he uh, if he flipped right before the last episode. We there's been a little bit of discussion of that. Uh, did discuss it a little bit on the last episode, but in, in any case, Luke Altmeyer flipped to Old Miss, and that's a big loss because Altmeyer was really the the bell cow remaining in Florida State's class. And if you look at it, this class when it was first being built, Norvell and, and his staff, what they were trying to do, they were trying to build this class. Starting with the two bell cows, one on offense and one on defense, Brandon Jennings as the bell cow on defense, and then Luke Altmeyer as the bell cow on offense. And now both guys are in other classes. That's a kick in the shorts, guys. I mean, there's no way around that. Now, when you're recruiting a guy from the, from the state of Mississippi, you're taking your chances there. That's the truth. You're going into somebody else's state and it's not an easy drive. I don't know if I don't know how many of you have ever driven from Mississippi to Tallahassee, but it's not the most pleasant drive. It's not an easy drive. It's not easy to fly into Tallahassee. And this is one of those things that a lot of people underestimate is the difficulty of getting to Tallahassee, which has only been amplified by COVID. And that's one of those things with Altmaier. I mean, he can just go down the road. He just drove down the road a few times to do an unofficial visit at Ole Miss. It's a piece of cake. Whereas getting to Florida State in the pandemic has been impossible. He's not been there. And, you know, absence doesn't make the heart fonder. <laughs> it makes the heart colder. And I, I think that was a big factor in this. And there are always other factors in recruiting. But 
that's one of those things that a lot of folks forget that Florida State, there are, there are certain disadvantages that Florida State has by virtue of being in Tallahassee. Yes, it's in Florida, which gives you a lot of advantages, but it's in the part of Florida that's really South Georgia, Southern Alabama, as much as anything. And it's a long way away from a lot of the populated areas, and it's hard to get there. I mean, those of you who travel to Tallahassee from other places can attest this. I mean, it's just... The, what, who, who flies direct into Tallahassee anymore? Everything connects through Atlanta and everything's expensive. So if you're going to fly, that's tough already. Then if you're not going to fly, it's a long drive from anywhere. And that's, that's a factor. Now, the thing is, in the past, Florida State's been so good and they've had coaches who can sell, you know, ice to stereotypical people who have, or who are surrounded by ice. They could sell ice to anybody. And so they've been able to take advantage of certain of certain advantages that Florida State does have. The presence of FAMU in town. The location does help when you're trying to recruit guys from South Georgia and the Florida tag helps when you're recruiting guys in that big bend area, which has some talent. I've always felt like Florida State in the last last 15 years or so, I, I felt like they've under recruited the the uh the Panhandle area, the the Pensacola area, out in that you know Western Panhandle area, I felt like they've under recruited out there. If anything, but they've you've got you've had coaching staffs that that have been able with relationships and then just the quality product on the field to overcome that. So it's easy to forget. But this coaching staff doesn't have those relationships. They didn't come in with those relationships and. COVID hasn't allowed them to establish those relationships and travel throughout the state and really establish their brand and build trust and all the things that you have to do as a recruiter. And then you basically take it that all of their, all of their relationships are with players who are in home states that are elsewhere in their longer drives to Florida state. And this is, a, this is a factor. So Altmyer's flip to Ole Miss is kicking the shorts, no doubt. Cause you need, in, in my opinion, you really want to try to bring in at least three quarterbacks every two years. Ideally, you bring in four quarterbacks every two years because you know now in the in the current era that if a guy doesn't win the job by the time he's about a sophomore, certainly by the time he's a third year, if he's a good player, he's probably going to transfer. And then if he's not a good player, well, he's probably just going to sit around and hang out by the pool in Tallahassee and enjoy being a football player. <laughs> so it's a bit of a problem. But you're, you, you've got to try to get, in my opinion, at least three quarterback recruits every two years because you're going to expect attrition there. And you have to make sure that the other thing is that you can't guarantee that the guys that you're bringing in are of the quality that Florida State needs at that position, that anybody needs to be able to win at the level that Florida State wants to win at. And so essentially, I think you try to bring in four every two years. And you try to make sure that at least one of those four, if he doesn't win the quarter, if he doesn't look like he's going to win a quarterback position, can transition to another position. Guy who can become a slot receiver, running back, safety, you know, any number of other things and, and potentially transition there. But, you know, basically an, a really good athlete who could become a really good quarterback. But if he doesn't, if, he do, if it doesn't pan out as a thrower or, you know, reading defenses or whatever, you can move him. That's what you try, you try to do. But you... They're they're right now in a position where I'm not sure they're going to be able to sign a a high school quarterback or a high school quarterback that's of the level that you need. Now that said, 
Garcia did decommit from USC, and I like him better, honestly, as a product, as a prospect than Altmaier. I think he's a more natural thrower. He actually his throwing motion reminds me of Carson Palmer. He's got some really nice uh, natural mechanics, natural tools there as a thrower. But from everything that I've seen, odds are he winds up at Miami. Great news, right? Could have just stayed with USC. That would have been better. But I will say this, the longer Florida State stays in the game there, the longer he ta- he waits to make his decision, the more Florida State stays in the game. The longer they can stay in the game, the better. Because the relationship with him and, and Dilly in particular, those are the guys that uh, Dillingham is the guy that has been the primary on that recruitment, and he's been doing it since he was at Auburn. That relationship is what's given Florida State a chance. So if they can sell him, then you know you'll take that trade. But I'm pessimistic about that. I'm, I don't. I don't think that's especially likely. And now, the other news on that front, and everybody's talked about this, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Is Casey McKenzie from UCF, guy who shredded his knee a couple of years ago. Now he's been basically uh, he's been replaced due to that injury. He's in the transfer portal, and and by all accounts, he's likely to come to Florida State if Florida State ultimately puts on the full court press and makes it very clear that that they want him. So, I think he's Florida State's to lose. Now, the thing is, he's not. He was not an elite player even before his injury. He's a good player. He's better than Florida State's had at quarterback in the last few years, certainly. But there are still questions about that knee, his durability. You know, he's, it's, it's not an automatic that he comes to Florida State and just is and just starts tossing the rock around and all of a sudden you're scoring 40 points a game. He's not one of those guys. But he could stabilize the position. And so that that's where odds are he's a take. And I think right now, best intel is that he's likely to come to Florida State if Florida State wants him. So, so that's a good one. Now, another one to keep an eye on, in my opinion, is Jace Reuter, who is at present, one of the backup quarterbacks at UNC. And he actually, you'll, some of you will remember Reuter. He was a guy that was recruited by Jimbo Fisher before Fisher left Tallahassee, before he left for, for Texas A&M. And ultimately, Florida State was a runner-up for Reuter. He was, he was a guy, he's the guy from Kansas, really good athlete, built basically like a, like a big safety, runs about a 4-5. But he's, he's got a really good skill set for Norvell's offense, particularly his ability to throw vertical routes. And he's, I've been, I've been uh, told that he is going to be putting his name in the portal in the spring. So he's, he's going to be graduating in three years from UNC's business school. And he's going to, he's going to uh, put his name in, in the portal in the spring so that he can graduate in the spring and then move on. And what makes Ruder really interesting is this will be he'll he'll graduate in three years, but because of injury, and that's really what's held him back. Because of injury, he's got a minimum in, in redshirting, he's got a minimum of three years left to play three. Wherever he transfers, he's got he's going to be instantly eligible as a grad transfer, and he's going to have three years to play three. And the thing is, he's still got a hardship year that he could also put in there. He might have four years left. So you're looking at a guy with three years of college experience who could wind up because of the combination of a red shirt season, COVID-19 making this year not count, and then potential hardship year. He could, he could wind up being a seven-year college player if he wanted to be. The thing is, he's a good player. 
I watched them and I watched North Carolina in practice before the 2019 season. And he was dead even with Sam Howell running that offense. He very nearly won that job. He, he was dead even with Howell. And ultimately, the coaching staff went with the younger player who was their recruit from Charlotte over the guy who was a legacy recruit from the prior staff from Kansas. But they were dead even, essentially, coming into, coming into the season in 2019. And actually, I, I thought in terms of how smoothly certain things went, I thought Reuter was actually a little ahead of, of Howell, though Howell had a little more potential and certainly had more potential as a thrower. But he, he was not far off from where Howell was in 2019. And that was coming off of an injury that had ended his 2018 season. Otherwise, he'd have been he'd have been the guy for the remainder. He would have taken over. He took over in the middle of the 2018 season, looked good, and then got hurt. And then was competing for the job in 2019, was essentially even with Howell, and then Howell beat him out. Howell, of course, is going to be there this year, is going to finish this year, and is going to be there one more year. And Reuter is basically ready to to move on and 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 go somewhere else. He's going to put his name in the portal next semester. So that that's an interesting one to keep an eye on because like I said, he was Florida state was a runner up under a different coaching staff. Yes. But Florida state was the runner up for his services the last time. And so he's familiar with Tallahassee. He's can't, he camped at, at, at the Jimbo Fisher camp familiar with Tallahassee. He just saw Florida state in person knows they need a quarterback and could be a guy that instead of getting a, if they don't land a high school player, well, you could get a guy who's got three years of college experience who has as much experience, as much eligibility left as a, as a high school player would for potentially four years. So that's an interesting one to keep an eye on. I don't. Uh, the real question there is whether Norvell and the staff would want to bring a guy like that in and potentially upset the rest of the quarterback room in that you've got, say, a guy like Chubba Purdy or Tate Rodemaker, who those guys are they're going to be looking at that and going, well, this guy has as much eligibility left as I do. I mean, then, then you might end up with similar problems down the line. So that's the kind of decision that they're going to have to make. But that's an interesting one to me. I mean, especially given that, given my familiarity with, with Reuter from, from my other, other coverage. But in any case, the, the priority for this coaching staff right now, now that they've landed a, a good uh, pass rusher, which this week, that was a, that was a solid addition. He's going to have to put some weight on to be able to contribute early, but uh, and they're going to need a, a Juco-type pass rusher as well. But now that they've added a, a kind of twitchy guy as a pass rusher, the next real priority, and, and really the primary priority for the staff moving into the next phase, is they've got to make sure that quarterback room is in proper shape. And really, that is the single most important thing for this program moving forward, is to make sure that the quarterback room is in proper shape and that they can get leadership that's going to help pull in the right direction, that's going to make players around him better from that room. And it's going to be interesting to see who they wind up settling on or who actually they can get to come to campus at that position to help. And it's always a delicate balance because you want to bring in the best possible additions you can, but you need to make sure that they're going to be guys that are going to pull in the right direction. And you also don't want to chase off the the good players that you have, the good young players, the, the guys with potential that you brought in already. 
Now you always want to bring in the best talent you can. And, and, you know, if guys end up transferring, well, that, that, that's going to happen, but you do, you do not want to just communicate to those guys. Well, you're done. You know, we're, 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 we've recruited over you. And, and then you end up with no depth. You end up with all the same problems. That's the balance. It's going to be interesting to see these guys, this, this coaching staff juggle it, but, uh, that's, it's imperative that they be master jugglers and bring in the right guys to stabilize that room for 2021 so that they can actually start to build for the future seasons after that. Now, before I go, I want to make a, a brief request. And that is my first book, which I've been working on for a little over twice as long as I've been doing this podcast. And so those of you who've been living, listening to this uh, podcast from the beginning know how long that is. That book is finally slated to release in March in the UK and in April in the USA and is now available for pre-order. So for those of you out there who are interested in anything pertaining to the Bible, early Judaism, Christian origins, you know, the origins of Christianity, then this book might be interesting to you. And I'm going to request that if you're if you're a listener and you have interest in those areas, do me a solid and and pre-order a book. That would be uh, that'd be a big help to me. I don't make a ton of money off of it, but it certainly helps to have book sales uh, academic books don't make a ton of money, but, uh, I, I did my best to write this not only for fellow academics, but in a way that, uh, that people who are interested in this subject can also, uh, benefit from, and they have priced it accordingly to be accessible to a more popular market. So I'm going to put some links in the show notes. You can buy it directly from Cambridge university press, or you could buy it from Amazon or wherever you, wherever you prefer to get your books. But, uh, if you could pre-order that book, and maybe even pre-order a copy for your your pastor, pastors, rabbi, it doesn't matter, your, you know, crazy uncle who really likes conspiracy theories. That this is the this is the Christmas gift to get that that guy. I'd very much appreciate any support you can give in terms of buying the book. Love to hear from those of you who end up buying it and reading it. It's the sort of thing that uh, you know, you put nearly two decades into a project and there's a, a second volume on the way, almost done. Uh, that will go together with this book. But when you put nearly two decades into into that larger project, uh, obviously uh, you want to see it spread as widely as possible. So very much appreciate it if any of you can go out there and buy that book, pre-order that book. So thanks for that. As always, this has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and The Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. As well as Jonathan Kennedy and Tyler Kashishki. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.